Well, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to Front Range. My name is Johnny. I'm one of our teaching pastors, and we're so glad that you're with us this morning, especially if you're new at Front Range. We hope that this place will become a home for you, where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And we got some big stuff coming up I want to let you know about. First of all, in two weeks, February 11th, we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary as a church. It's going to be, yes, absolutely, yeah. We're going to throw a party. We're going to have a great time here on the 11th, so make sure that you join us. We're going to have something special for everybody, and it's going to be exciting. So February 11th, join us for that. And then one week later, we're having baptisms here. And as Pastor Ernest just said, baptism is when it's our best next step after we give our lives to Christ. It's an opportunity to say that my old sin has been buried with Jesus and raised to new life. And if you've never been baptized and you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, or maybe like me, you were baptized as an infant, and then you grew up into an adult and made your own profession of faith, we would love to help you get baptized. So you can sign up on the worship guide uh, that's on the Connect card in the worship guide that's on all the seats here. You can also sign up online. Now, let me ask you a question here this morning. How many of us had to be part of a group project in school? Maybe high school, college. You guys remember these group projects? All right, cool. Most of us, most of us. How many of us hated those group projects? Can I get an amen just from... Because, all right, so you know what happens, right? You get put together with people you never would have chosen to work with, right? Which is judgmental, but whatever. We're honest about it. And then, like, you try to have a meeting to talk about the work, and maybe you, you delegate. And then what happens? One person ends up doing all the work, right? Right? Okay, I'm not bitter about it 20 years later. I'm just saying, those of us who hate those group projects, you were probably the one who ended up doing all the work. The rest of you were still mad. And we're still judging you. But what's the problem with those group projects? Listen, if you're a teacher, I'm sorry, I get it. But I, those things are the worst thing in the education system. It's, it's worse than common core math, okay? It's the worst thing. I get it. We're supposed to learn how to communicate and work together. It never works. It doesn't work. All right, anyway, what's the problem? You get, group, you get people together and you get these different communication styles, different goals, motives, personality, work ethic. All this stuff comes together and it results in disaster, usually. Now, back up from a group project and just think about groups of people in general and what happens when we come together and we try to accomplish something. Maybe at your job, you still have to do some group projects. Hopefully, it's graduated from what was happening in college, maybe. Uh, but what happens is people who are broken, we bring our brokenness into a group of broken people and then the brokenness just all comes together and we try to go after a goal and things go off the rails, usually when we separate ourselves from something like God and righteousness because we're all broken and messed up and you put a bunch of broken and messed up people together and things go wrong. So that's actually what we're looking at today as we continue our series on Genesis. What happens when groups of broken people come together and the destruction and the chaos that can happen. If you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 11. We're looking at the story of the Tower of Babel this morning. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Uh, you can grab one from our Blue Connections tent out in the courtyard. We don't need your name, money, nothing. Those are there for you because people uh, are generous and give to make sure that everyone has a Bible. So you can grab one. You can ask for one if you need to, but those are out there. Um, it, it, catching us up to the story, last week, Pastor Ernest talked about Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, and sin, and what the results of sin are, and what the results of Jesus' sacrifice for us are, and how that fixes the results of sin. And then through the next couple of chapters of Genesis, we see sin begin to spread throughout the earth as human beings begin to spread throughout the earth. We see the first murder with Cain and Abel. Um, 
Mankind spreads and those sorts of things keep going. And then we're told that the earth was corrupt and filled with wickedness. That sounds exciting, right? That's, it's probably still kind of like that. Can I get an amen, right? And so then we see uh, Noah's Ark and the flood where God sort of hits the reset button. Let's try this again. Let's try to get back on track here. And then where we get today in Genesis 11 is kind of a, a culmination of everything that we've seen before. All of the sin and brokenness and wickedness kind of culminates in this story of the Tower of Babel. Now, if you've heard of this story before, what comes to mind for you is probably languages because uh, you, you may have a little familiarity, but you also may be familiar with um, the app or the program Babel, which helps us learn different languages. That's based on a translation uh, of the word that we have in here. And so what happens is these groups of people come together and they're trying to do something and God doesn't like what they're doing, which we'll look at here. And then he, he scatters them. He sends them out and confuses their language so that they cannot continue this group this group project. Now, I think that this story gets to the heart of what's still wrong with our world today. It's, like I said, the culmination of everything that's happened in Genesis up to this point. And it still reminds us of what happens when we get together and when our hearts are broken and we gather together and try to go after something apart from God and we try to build our lives apart from the way that he has called us to build our lives. Now, as we talk about this story today, think about your own individual life, your job, your, your family, your goals, your motives, your community, the things that you're going after, and consider what it might look like if everything in your life was aligned with the way that God calls us to live. So let's look at Genesis chapter 11. Well, the, the story for being so popular, it's actually very short, only a couple of verses here. We'll just read the whole thing in Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They're developing technology in the ancient world. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Pause here. The Bible's funny because we're told that these people are trying to build something that's so great and awesome and huge and massive that they'll make a name for themselves. And God goes, I can't see it. Let's go down there and make sure that we can check this thing out. So anyway, that's just an aside. Verse 6, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. All right, there's a lot that happens in these compact little verses here. It's important for us that we understand some of the ancient context and what was going on so that we can understand what, it, what this story has for us here today. Now, verse 9 tells us that this city is called Babel, and that's how the Hebrews referred to what was more commonly known as Babylon. Babel relates to a Hebrew word that meant to confuse, and so that's how they started to call this thing. But more commonly, we would refer to this area uh, and this city as Babylon. Now, where was Babylon? Where is Babylon? We found the ruins of it. It's just south of Baghdad in modern-day Iraq. We'll throw a picture up here on the screen just to give you an idea geographically of what's going on there. So when we think of this tower, 
all sorts of images may come into our mind, all, all kinds of ideas. And I think it's cool for us to sort of look at how this has been thought of or illustrated over, over the years. One of the earliest illustrations we have is from the 1370s. Uh, we'll put this here. This is just, I love this. It's just a very simple, here's a tower, just a tiny little guy. And there's so many things happening in there. My favorite thing is going on at the very top. If you can see it, it's God just poking his head in right down at the top there. Just like, let's see what this whole tower thing is all about. I just love that. The, the next one is a little bit, probably a little bit more familiar of what we may think of as a tower. This is from 1594 by a guy named Lucas van Valkenborg. Uh, we almost called our son that. Um, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. This is, this is probably a little bit more familiar of a Tower of Babel, right? You may think of like a skyscraper, things like that. I wanted to show you these because I want to mess with your concept of what it might have actually been like. So scholars today, uh, they've done digging, they've done research. They believe that what, what's referenced here as a tower was actually more like a temple. And an ancient structure that fits the description of what we think this was like was a ziggurat. A ziggurat uh, was, was this temple-like structure with a city around it. We'll throw a picture up on the screen here. Uh, you can kind of see the city being built around this thing. This one, uh, this image is a representation of one called Etamenanki. Etamenanki was found, the ruins of it, is found in the city of Babylon. Now, a ziggurat was meant to be sort of a a connection between humanity and the gods. This is a place where they would have worship and service of the gods. This is where they were meant to try to reconnect. And the name Etamenaki actually meant the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth. Think about that. Think about what's being communicated by naming a structure like this, the foundation of heaven and earth. This, this structure was meant to be this gateway. It was meant to be this connection between humanity and God, almost as if these people were trying to fix the results of sin and our separation from God. It's almost as if they say themselves, they want to create a name for themselves. It's like they are taking on the responsibility of reconnecting humanity with God, and they want to get the glory for what's happening here. And that begins to, to clue us in to what the problem was with this whole group project, and it wasn't just that one person was doing all the work. Now, one problem is that these people were trying, as we've already said, to make a name for themselves. We see that in verse 4. They believed that they could reunite heaven and earth and get the glory for fixing the problems of the world. Another problem was that they were in direct disobedience of what God had done, what God had said humanity was supposed to do. He said, I've created you to be my image bearers, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule and reign on my behalf. And as we see in this, in this story, these people are gathering together so that they will not be scattered. They are directly disobeying God's command to fill the earth and fill it with his glory and his kingdom. They're huddling together in one place with the goal of becoming great and bringing glory to themselves. And just like a group project where no one's on the same page and they have all the wrong motives, things begin to fall apart. That's what we can see uh, the problem is when God comes down and says, if they continue in this, nothing will be impossible for them. God is speaking about the destruction and the chaos that can occur if he allows this project to continue. He knows that when we as human beings gather with the wrong motives, the wrong goals, the possibilities for evil and destruction are endless. So he scatters them. He confuses their language to thwart this project for their own good and to try to force them out to live as he created them to live. 
But what does this story have to do with us today? Everything. I believe this story has everything to do with how we live our lives, the societies that we build as fallen human beings, and I think it speaks to how we're meant to live our lives in alignment with God's will. Babylon is referenced all throughout Scripture. In fact, it's referenced in 15 books of the Bible, most notably in Genesis here, and then later in Daniel and Revelation as a metaphor for what's wrong with humanity. In Scripture, Babylon and then later Egypt and Rome, they're examples of what happens when we unite against God and we seek to do something ourselves apart from Him. This story is not anti-progress, anti-city, anti-technology, anything like that. It is a warning against seeking the blessings of God's kingdom while rejecting Him as king. We have the same tendency to do this in our lives today. When we create businesses and opportunities with the goal of gaining wealth and prosperity and status with no consideration for what God may call us to do with that status or that opportunity or that wealth. When we choose where to live and which schools to send our kids to based on worldly standards and whether or not it's the very best in the country versus where God may be calling us to live and make, it, make a difference and have an impact. When we ignore the opportunity we have to lead and guide our families to follow Jesus and change the world. When we're more concerned with how many followers or likes we have than the impact we can make for God's glory. When we waste our time scrolling on our phones to be distracted instead of engaging with the life that God has given us and called us to. In every area of our lives, there's a temptation to seek after the wrong thing or ignore the purpose God has given us. Whether you're a business leader, a teacher, a stay-at-home parent, we have an opportunity to build our lives in a way that brings glory to God and fulfills the purpose that he has for us. So how do we do that? What can we learn from this story to avoid the sin of Babylon and fulfill God's purpose for our lives? The first thing I think we need to do is you need to align your goals. Align your goals. This speaks to what we are aiming for in our lives. What are we seeking to build? What are we trying to do? And is that aligned with what God has called us to do? As human beings made in God's image, we are full of creativity, ingenuity, and aspirations to build something, to make something of ourselves, and to leave a legacy. But the story of Babel reminds us that we can miss the mark if we're aiming for the wrong target. In week one of this series, Pastor Ernest told us that God has created us and given us a purpose to rule on his behalf, to reign on his behalf. And when we create and build things here on earth, our calling is to bring order out of chaos and to seek righteousness in the midst of evil and destruction. That's how we rule on God's behalf as we seek goodness and righteousness and we bring things into the created order as they are meant to be. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He's talking about worry and what happens when we get too focused on the wrong things and we begin to worry about how we're going to be cared for in our lives. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When we're living the way God calls us to live, when we're seeking to live in his kingdom with him as our king, he calls us to live righteously 
for him. And this idea, this calling can change your life. When your goals are aligned with the way that God has created you and what he's called you to do, it will change your life. No matter where you are, who's around you, what you're doing on a daily basis, you can fulfill God's purpose for your life. When we first moved to Castle Rock over 10 years ago to help start Front Range, I needed a job, right? Got to pay the bills. This whole church thing wasn't around yet. And so it's like, hey, I I need a job. And so I got a job working in retail. Um, Just aside, retail's not for me. Um, God bless those of you in the service industry, in the retail industry, not putting it down at all. I'm not cut out for it. I couldn't do it. Uh, So seriously, honestly, God bless you. Um, I I I had a bad attitude. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I had the wrong goals. I, I was seeking after money. I just needed to pay the bills. And so I treated my job as like a secondary thing and something that I had to do, not something I got to do. And listen, if you needed office supplies in 2014 in uh, Castle Rock, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I just, I, I, I walked into it every day with the wrong motive. Um, I wasn't seeking God's righteousness and his glory with how I was living my life. Now, he did good things, and good things happened. I made some friends, some coworkers. I was able to invite them in the early days of uh, Front Range and what God was doing, and I believe that he changed their lives and, and did a work in them, and he gets all the glory for that. But now I look back on it, and I think I missed some opportunities because of my bad attitude and because of uh, my goals being out of alignment with God, me um, not seeking what he had for me to do there, to be a blessing and to be a person of love. I was just there to clock in, clock out, and get a paycheck, and that was messed up, and it was not fulfilling. Shocker, when you're just seeking after money and punching the clock, it wasn't fulfilling at all. But I believe that it is possible for each and every one of us to find fulfillment and joy and life in how we live our daily lives as long as we align our goals with God. I believe that it's possible to work a job that you never dreamed of having and be full of joy and purpose because you know that God's got you there to be a blessing and to love him and love other people. It's possible to run, to own and run your own company that has nothing to do with spirituality and still seek goodness and righteousness and blessing and be a blessing to the people that you work with. It is possible to be a stay-at-home parent and create order out of chaos. Can I get an amen? And seek righteousness through the habits of your household. If you're a stay-at-home parent, next time somebody asks you what you did today, say, oh, well, I helped fulfill God's purpose for humanity by bringing order out of chaos and ruling and reigning on his behalf. And I'm not joking. I'm serious. I'm serious. I I heard a theologian say recently, every act of ordering is an act of ruling. So it is an act of ruling on God's behalf to order your household according to his ways. My encouragement for each of us over the next week is to Spend some time prayerfully considering what we're going after on a daily basis, what we're living for, what goals we're aiming for. And this is why Scripture is so, so important outside of a Sunday morning context. We love that you're here. This is important for us. But you need God's Word in your life on a daily basis when you don't have me putting it in your ears. You need to spend time so that you can understand what God is calling you to do and how He's calling us to live. In fact, Peter, uh, later on in the New Testament, in 2 Peter, he gives us a great framework for how to live our lives, how to be effective and productive, as you'll see here. You can turn there in your Bible if you've got it, or we'll just put it on the screen. I want to encourage you to take a picture of this. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's what he says. For this very reason... 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. There's kind of this building block going on here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter gives us the goal. If you want to be productive and effective, this is what it looks like. The people building the Tower of Babel, they thought effectiveness and productivity looked like a monument to their own glory, and they missed the point completely. Effectiveness and productivity in the kingdom of God looks like goodness, knowledge of him, self-control in our own lives, perseverance in the hard times, affection and love for God and love for other people. As you spend time over the next week following Jesus in your own life on a day-to-day basis, reflect on this scripture. And when you find an area that's out of alignment with the way that God's calling us to live, just stop and go, God, help me in this area. Help me make choices that reflect you and what you're calling me to do. Help me here, God. So the first thing we need to do if we're going to build our lives the way God has for us to build them is to align your goals. The second one is to align your motives. Align your motives. These two are closely related, and I get that, but there is a difference that we need to notice. If goals are what we're aiming for, our motives are why we're aiming for those things. It's our motives that drive everything we do. Changing our motives will change our goals, but we don't usually notice that we have wrong motives until the goals go off track. We don't usually notice what's going on inside of us until the way that we live our lives stops working for us. Many of us, we hit about middle age and we realize like, man, the, 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 the things that I'm doing, this is, it's not bringing me fulfillment or joy and all this kind of stuff. And you realize something's wrong and it's an opportunity for us to look inward and try to analyze why we do what we do, what we're hoping to gain, what needs we're trying to get met. The Babylonians, they were at least very honest about their motives. They wanted to make a name for themselves. People made in the image of God, meant to rule and reign on his behalf and reflect him, they are inverting the created order and wanting to make a name for themselves rather than for him. And I think it's very easy for us to do the same thing in our lives. The tricky part, and this is so key, but the the, the hard part about this is I can't tell you what your deep motives are. I can't stand up here and tell the hundreds of you listening like, that, that I know exactly what's going on in your heart. Only you, your conscience, and the Holy Spirit can dig that up. And so we have to do some hard work. This is the depth of our spiritual lives where we have to be very honest with ourselves and with God and give him the opportunity to dig up what's going on inside of us, to come before him and be honest about what darkness may be deep inside of us that's leading us to do the things that we do. The, the Tower of Babel and the, the goal of making a name for ourselves is still within each of us. It's still so relevant for us. And it forces us, when we think about this, it forces us to come to terms with these motives and the way that we live our lives. And for me, some of the, some of the most fruitful and productive, but also the most difficult parts of my life with God have been when I'm so anxious about a situation or I'm worried about something or I'm frustrated with another person and God lovingly shows me where I'm wrong. 
and where I have gone off track in my own heart and where I have stopped trusting him and his faithfulness and his goodness or I've started to get puffed up about myself and I've become prideful and judgmental towards another person and God's going, hey, let's talk about you for a minute. Let's talk about what's going on in here and why, what, what's driving you to act this way. And then he lovingly gives me an opportunity to repent and change by the power of his Holy Spirit. But the great thing is we don't have to wait for God to get our attention. We can go to him and ask proactively. Usually, not always, but usually when we wait for God to get our attention, there's a bit of pain that comes along with that because many of us are stubborn and we don't often pay attention. And so life and circumstances will show us that something's off. But we can go to him proactively and say, God, show me what's going on in my heart. Show me what's wrong. Show me where I need you to help me change. One of the most powerful prayers that you could ever pray in your life is from Psalm chapter 139. Again, we're going to put this on the screen. I want to encourage you to take a picture of it. Here's what it says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love this prayer because it basically hits every facet of our lives. God, know my heart. Know what's going on inside of me, Lord. My deep fears and anxieties, my lack of faith, my pride, all of this. God, know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Show me the areas where I'm just spinning the wheels in my brain, just ruminating on situations and I'm not trusting you, God, and I'm not bringing these things before you. God, see if there's any offensive way in me, the behaviors and the actions that usually get our attention. See if there's anything going on here, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. I promise you, if you take some time this week to sit down and pray that prayer, you will find an opportunity for God to work in your life. You will find an anxious thought. You will find something in your heart. You will find an offensive way. And then you'll have an opportunity in God's loving kindness to repent and change. Many of us, we live at a surface level. We never, we never go beneath the surface to see what's going on and, and what God may want to do in our lives. God, why am I, why did I snap at my wife the other day? Why was I sarcastic and, and mean? God, why was I so shaming towards my son? Why was I this way with a coworker? Why am I so caught up in the money in this situation? Why, 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 why? If you pause long enough to let God answer the why, he will. And he'll give you an opportunity to let him work in that area of your life, to change your motives, which will then change your goals and bring you into alignment with what he has for you. And it will change you and it will change the world around us. Imagine a group of people living according to God's kingdom, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, seeking to be people of love and what that could do in the world around us. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live my life. That's the kind of person I want to be. And the invitation for each one of us is there to come before God and say, Lord, do a work in me change me. Help me follow you in the way that you have for me. Let's pray and ask him to do that right now. God, we thank you so much for your word and this opportunity, Lord, where we can go beneath the surface and we can talk about what's really going on at a deep level 
And I pray right now for every one of us, Lord, that you are, um, by, the, by your Holy Spirit, you are speaking to our hearts and you are beginning to pull up the stuff that we may have buried deep below. God, speak to that darkness, speak to the sin, speak to the areas where we are seeking to make a name for ourselves and not for you, God. The things that we're doing that we know are not in alignment with your will. God, convict us right now in your kindness. Your word says that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, Lord. And so we know that you are a good God who loves us and gives us mercy and grace. And it's your kindness that is drawing us to change right now, God. And so we thank you for that. We ask for your help in that area. And we know that every single week as we come here, that there are folks who come and, and, and maybe you have not given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have not chosen to follow him, but God is drawing you home. God is inviting you into a relationship. Maybe the way of life that you've been going after has stopped working for you. Maybe you're, you're struggling to find the peace and the hope and the joy that you're longing for. And I can guarantee you those things are found in Jesus and in a relationship with him. And so as everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus this morning. And it's very simple. All you have to do is agree and trust him. Say, I'm a sinner. I believe that I need help. I believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for me, to pay the price for my, for the price for my sins on the cross. And if that's you in here this morning, maybe you're making this decision for the first time. Maybe you made this decision as a kid or years ago and life has gotten in the way and things have gone off the rails. God is inviting you back home this morning. And I'm not gonna embarrass you or any of that. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. If that's you and you just want to say, I, I want to follow Jesus this morning, just slip your hand up so I can pray for you so that we can have a moment and unite together and choose to follow Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, we come before you and we do. We just confess the truth that we are sinners, that we need you, that we need you to work inside of us from the inside out to help us live the life you've called us to. And God, we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We know that he paid the price for our sins. We could never live a perfect life as he did. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, guaranteeing that we will live with him for eternity. And so we trust you for our salvation in this moment, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can live for you. And we give you all the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.